Good morning and welcome to Cornerstone Presbyterian. It's my great privilege today to be teaching from Revelation chapter 16. We've been working on, on this book of the Bible for some time now, and I'd love for you to open your Bibles to chapter 16 so that you can follow along with today's teaching. I begin by asking a, a question. Are you struggling with your faith right now? Let me put it more specifically. Are you struggling with Jesus? Perhaps you are looking at Christianity and looking at Jesus from the outside. And it all seems okay to you, but you can't find a compelling reason why you need to know about Jesus. You can't find a compelling reason as to why you should commit yourself to the serious time and effort and thought that is required to finding out exactly who Jesus is. Or perhaps you've grown up in a Christian home and recently you've been isolated at home with your parents, you've seen a whole lot more of them and you're not exactly liking what you're seeing. You're seeing more worldliness and selfishness than you'd like to see. And frankly, it is putting you off, Jesus, the Jesus that your parents say that they believe in. And you think, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I think you, you better count me out. Or perhaps today you are an older Christian and you are struggling with complacency. Complacency towards Jesus. I think I'm a Christian, but maybe it's more out of habit than conviction. And if I'm honest with myself, I think I get more excited these days by a new series on Netflix or even a new donut shop opening than I do about Jesus. Whoever you are, are you struggling in your own way with Jesus? Well, there's a common element to these struggles that I just sketched. And that common element is the one of need. Why do I really need Jesus? Do I really need Jesus? Why should I commit myself to finding out about Jesus? Why should I look past my parents' Christianity light? Do I have to? Why should I overcome my complacency? Is that necessary? Is that something I really must do? Revelation 16 shows us that we do need Jesus, that we desperately need Jesus. We need him more than life itself. Revelation 16 shows us Seven bowls of God's fury poured out on humanity's sin and rebellion. In fact, these bowls are tipped towards us right now. Already with the war and disease that we see in this world and famine and natural disaster, we already see traces of God's future judgment on the earth. But at any moment, these bowls will be completely upended 
and God's fury will cascade down upon the earth. And so these seven bowls are, in fact, seven urgent reasons why you need Jesus Christ and the protection from God's fury that only he can give. In Revelation 16, verse 1, John says, that I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the bowls of God's wrath upon the earth. Now, for each of these bowls, we need to notice two things. We need to note first how each bowl corresponds to the destruction of something that God made in Genesis 1 or 2 for the life and joy of God's image bearers. We need to note also how each bowl corresponds to one of the ten plagues on Egypt that we read about in the book of Exodus. The Egyptian plagues send a message to us, a message that says, if God brought these plagues on sinful Egypt back then, then he can and he will bring these plagues upon sinful humanity again. But this time, not on a national scale, but on a, on a global scale. The first bowl poured out by the first angel pours out dreadful sores on humanity. Verse 2. The first angel went and poured out his bowl upon the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. This corresponds to the sixth Egyptian plague of boils. And here it falls on those who have received the 666 mark of the beast, who have chosen to worship the creature over the creator. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to protect us from this first bowl of judgment. The second bowl turns the seas into blood. Look there at verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. Here God's fury pours out on the sea and sea creatures, which were made by God on the third and fifth days of creation. In his fury, God destroys the blessing of the ocean. And this corresponds to the first plague on Egypt when God turned Egypt's waters into blood. This is a second reason why we need Jesus. We need him to protect us from this second bowl of judgment. The third bowl turns the rivers into blood. Verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Here God's fury is poured out on the freshwater rivers and streams of the earth. 
created by God to irrigate humanity's crops and orchards. And this again replicates the first plague on Egypt when the Nile was turned into blood. And this, in fact, was given to punish Egypt for drowning Hebrew boys in the Nile. It's as though God was saying, if you want to fill the Nile with innocent blood, I'll give you that. And this third bowl is the third reason why we need Jesus. We need him to protect us from this third bowl of judgment. The fourth bowl makes the sun a tool of death. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The sun and moon were created on the fourth day. Genesis 1 tells us that the greater light was given to govern the day, and the lesser light was given to govern the night. The sun was given for light and life and food and warmth. And with this judgment, it becomes a tool of death. Now, the astronomers tell us that the sun is actually cooling, and as it cools, it swells. And that in only five billion years, the sun will expand and engulf the inner planets like Mercury and Venus and the Earth. And this reminds us of this fourth bowl, that God will make the sun his tool of final judgment upon the wicked. You need Jesus to protect you from this fourth bowl. The fifth bowl plunges people into darkness. Verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The fourth bowl caused the sun to scorch the wicked. The fifth bowl extinguishes the sun and plunges the wicked into darkness. And this corresponds, of course, with the ninth plague on Egypt, when a darkness that could be felt covered all of Egypt for three days so that no one could see anything else or move about. This darkness, this awful darkness, echoes Jesus' description of hell, of people thrown into darkness where Jesus said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You need Jesus to protect you from this fifth bowl. Notice there, in verse 11, the Pharaoh-like stubbornness of the rebellious heart, even under the judgment of God. That though God must prevail, and though his judgments are terrible, our delusions of autonomy are so precious to us that we'd rather spend an eternity in hell than to repent of them and to give them up. That's the awful, perverse stubbornness of the human heart. 
The sixth bowl provokes war against Jesus Christ. Look there at verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief, says Jesus. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Now, this sixth bowl is set, the scene is set within Old Testament history. Rivers normally get in the way of invading armies. And here we read in God's judgment that he dries up the Euphrates, the cradle of the Babylonian Empire. And he does that to prepare the way for an invasion of the kings of the east. This also evokes the horror of the second plague upon Pharaoh and Egypt, when the Nile teemed with frogs. The book of Exodus tells us that the frogs came up into Pharaoh's palace and in his bedroom and onto his bed into the houses of his officials and on his people and into their ovens and kneading troughs. The sixth bowl of God's fury, we read in Revelation, brings satanic powers just as menacing as those frogs to harangue worldly powers into rebellion against Christ. And we know this from chapter 19, verse 19, where John says, then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. And that rider is, of course, Jesus himself. Now, we should note something very carefully here in Revelation 16. Revelation 16 is teaching us that warfare against Christ is not just something that earns God's judgment. Warfare against Christ is God's judgment. Many of us have come across Richard Dawkins and his books like The God Delusion and his new one, which is called Outgrowing God, which is designed to turn children away from the Christian faith. And we hear what people like Richard Dawkins say and how they try to tear down the Bible and Jesus and the Christian faith. And we think, why doesn't God judge them? Why doesn't God judge Richard Dawkins for what he is saying and writing? Well, Revelation 16 teaches us that Richard Dawkins' fight against God is God's judgment. It's God's judgment on the world, and it's God's judgment on him. Think about it for a moment. Those who resist and fight God, they can't hurt God. 
It's ridiculous to think that they can. By denying God, they only deprive and hurt themselves and those around them. Revelation 16 teaches us that hell will be a kind of dreadful, eternal, perpetual war against God, damned souls striving uselessly against God. People gnash their teeth in either rage or agony. In hell, people will gnash their teeth for both of those reasons. Look there at verse 16. We read that then they gathered the kings together, these kings to fight Christ, to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the Hebrew ha Megiddo means the mountain of Megiddo. Megiddo was a Canaanite city. And in the book of Judges, Megiddo was where the Lord defeated the evil Sisera. In 2 Kings chapter 23, we also read a report of a great battle at Megiddo at the same place. And in fact, that's where the good king, Josiah, was defeated by Pharaoh Necho. The prophet Zechariah saw in Josiah's death at Megiddo a shadow of Jesus' crucifixion. His crucifixion, which was to come centuries in advance. We read in Zechariah 12, verse 10, They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as they mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping in the plain of Megiddo. Armageddon represents evil battling against God and it represents the destruction of evil by God. In fact, this was exactly the battle fought and won by Christ Jesus on the cross that Zechariah looked forward to. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2 that having cancelled the written code with its regulations, that was against us and that stood opposed to us, God took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We'll come back to this in just a moment. The seventh and final bowl pours out the final fury of God upon sinful creation. Verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. 
Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 40 kilograms, fell on the people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. Some of us might remember that old movie, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, came out in 1991, starring, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And those of us who have seen that movie will remember, and here I'm giving away the ending, how that evil liquid metal machine was finally destroyed in a molten vat of iron. After a, a frantic, frantic struggle with blood-curdling metallic screeches, this evil machine liquefies, and the last thing you see is its face dissolving into the lava. It's a very dramatic moment, of course, in that movie. And that is indeed Judgment Day. That is rebellion. That is human evil after the pouring out of the seven bowls of God's wrath. Absolute, final, irreversible, irredeemable destruction and agony. And only Jesus can protect you from that. Only Jesus can shield us from this. So are you struggling with Jesus? Are you struggling with whether you really need him? Well, I hope from Revelation 16 that you see that you need him seven times over. You desperately need him. For the seven bowls of God's fury will pour out on all sin and evil, and by nature we are full of sin and evil. Paul says it in Romans chapter 3, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, if you believe that, and I believe it with all my heart, and if you believe that God is pouring out his fierce judgment on sin, and that we resist God, and that we are full of sin and rebellion, then whoever you are, you will see just how much you need Jesus. I've heard people say over the years, well, you're just a Christian because you need a crutch. You're a Christian because you need Jesus as a crutch. And I say, not at all. I don't need Jesus as my crutch. I need him as my life support system. I need him for everything. In verse 15, please look at your Bibles there at verse 15. It's almost in the middle of this chapter. Jesus says, Behold, pay attention, look. I come like a thief. 
Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Now, what, what clothes is Jesus talking about here? What is it that we must keep with us, as Jesus says? Well, Jesus is talking about the clothes of his righteousness, the clothes of his perfection. In fact, Jesus stands before you now in his word, and he says to you, when judgment day comes and you stand before the holy and living God, don't be standing there with your filthy rags of sin. Take off those filthy rags and give them to me. I died for sin on the cross. The judgment for sin fell on me. The seven bowls of God's wrath were poured out on me and I can take all your sin and judgment and punishment upon myself. Jesus stands before you and he says, take off your rags of sin and give them to me. And he says, look, here is the perfect white robe of my righteousness and my perfection. Take it. Put it on. So that on judgment day, God sees that. My perfection. My holiness. My goodness. Have you been listening to God's word today? Are you hearing what the Word of God is saying to you today? To those of you who are looking at Christianity, who are looking at Jesus from the outside, you're not yet a Christian. Doesn't this give you a sense of urgency? Doesn't this tell you that finding out about Jesus is the most important thing you need to do? It's more important than eating dinner. It's more important than, than, than clothing, than, than, than food, than education. The most important thing you can do, and that you must do, is find out about Jesus. Find a Christian and take hold of them and say to them, come and sit with me and tell me about Jesus. Open the Bible and tell me about Jesus. And if you can't find a Christian, then find a Bible. And you can find a Bible online. You can go to BibleGateway.com and look up the New International Version there. That'll do just fine. Get hold of a Bible and start reading the Gospel of Mark. You need Jesus. And it's urgent that you find out about him. And to those young people I mentioned at the start who have been raised in a Christian home and who may be disappointed in their parents' Christian faith, the Bible is saying to you, whatever the state of your parents' faith, you need to look past them. 
God does not have grandchildren. You need to decide for yourself. You need to work this out yourself. You need Jesus. The wrath of God is coming upon the sin of the world. And you need the Saviour. So pick up a Bible. Read Jesus' word. Listen to him. Find out about him. It is urgent. You need him. And let me say to our young people that our Tuesday night Bible classes, which I, I make deliberately demanding, you have to work hard in these classes. These are not just for the old people of the church. These are for you. And it's been so wonderful to see some of our young people coming online and joining in with those classes. Let me urge you to do that. It is a way, a way, but a good way of learning more about Jesus Christ. You need him. Learn more about him. And for those Christians who are slipping into complacency and lukewarmness, you know who you are. Well, Revelation 16 is saying that you need Christ just as much today as you did when you first became a Christian. Revelation 16 is saying, go back to Christ. Go back to the holiness of Christ, to the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, to Christ's intercession, to Christ's spirit poured out on you, to Christ in you. Go back to Christ, your shepherd, Christ, your cornerstone, Christ, the bread of life, Christ, your righteousness, your wisdom and your sanctification, Christ, your only hope now and forever. Look again to him. Feed on him. Receive his grace. Judgment of God is coming. And Jesus Christ has been sent by a gracious God to save us from that punishment. We need him. Let's all take hold of him today. Amen.